needs to sit back. The doctor should look at it as soon as possible. It is the way in which we propagate our species. Hi, and welcome to Casual Trek, a Star Trek recap and ranking podcast brought to you by Nerd and Tai and The Kazoo. I'm Charlie Atheridge-Nunn, a writer and a Eurovision Song Contest fan, first ironically, and then genuinely. And I am Mars Reed Lobato, science fiction writer and a fan of Hawkwind. Wow. <laughs> See, I, I, I originally figured if anyone questioned why there wasn't going to be any singing here, it's like, well, it's casual track, in it? You know, we're casual look, here. Look, uh, you, you know how at this point my intention with every opening is to find some way to break you within the first 30 seconds. Oh, God. Well, I, thanks, I, Bane. I, I still need to top my spit take total from last episode, where I think I managed to make you spit take on camera twice. Yes, yeah. I mean, that was an episode which was about Wrath of Khan, and I think about ten minutes longer than Wrath of Khan. <laughs> uh, hopefully we won't hit that today. Yeah. Anyway. Like, uh, I have never been a fan of Eurovision. I have friends over here in the States who really get into Eurovision. Like, they love it. They have like they do the whole drinking parties, everything. But oh, it's, yeah. was, it's, it's Wisconsin. Um, you don't need an excuse to drink. You just drink. Wisconsin's very much like England in that respect. For me, Eurovision will always be the thing that just kind of delays Doctor Who on a Saturday night by 30 to 40 minutes. Or have it be 30 to 40 minutes early uh, because, you know, Eurovision. Oh, no, Eurovision, it's... Like, aside from a lot of our half-assed attempts at sending an act over, either to go, old people will remember this, when... It's like, well, they're not going to be the ones voting because we can't vote for ourselves anyway. Or, um, like, a couple of years ago, we sent a guy that just like looked like some bloke. He looked like a bouncer at a Weatherspoons. Oh, no. oh. Kind of thing. It's like, oh, shit. Oh, no, we sent some guy there by mistake <laughs> instead of a musician. But what? you look at so many of the attempts at getting the getting politics under the radar things you know there was a great song about trains and it's Ooh. about the alliance yeah it's about a, a rail going between a couple of countries and it was about maybe we should team up a bit russia oh it's a bit scary <laughs> you know you get so many like fascinating things so many swings and yes you get a lot of dirgy ballads and you get a lot of people that are probably draculas but it's uh, there is a kind of camp joy yeah. to all of it, and going in, going, oh, look at these funny, these funny people and their funny music. Ooh, they've got some orcs in, and all of that is is okay. fine. But when you've got Fat Wolfer Banana by <laughs> Subwolfer, oh my god, yeah, there are some just incredible tracks. Okay, I, I will say Hard Rock Hallelujah by Lordy. Was a, was a banger, even if it did push back Cybermen by about 45 minutes. I think the Cybermen can live with that. <sighs> the Cybermen can't live with much, mate. They get killed by gold. 
Was was the was the contestant who was just some bloke, the Weatherspoons guy? Was his name S. B. Loke? It was like just Daryl or something. Oh, I don't know. Oh, oh Daryl, Daryl from Leeds. Yeah. Anyway, this is not a Eurovision podcast. Who knows? Maybe next May I might crowbar <laughs> it into being one. <laughs> when we get it, when we get a Patreon, that'll be our Patreon exclusive. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Miles forces me to watch Blake Seven, and I force him to watch Eurovision. <laughs> I don't know. I having having watched my friends like seeing my friends enjoy it through like like hmm. vision and just kind of enjoy like. I think it's because they're approaching with these very kind of uncynical, un-British eyes, where they're generally excited by this very kind of camp show, where I'm just like, yeah, it's a show where Terry Wogan clearly gets pissed on, like, yeah. lime spritzes between acts and then complains that, like, Wales isn't getting any points again. Basically. I mean, these days it's Graham Norton, but oh. he's, he's getting there. He's becoming the grouch. Is he becoming a Wogan? The ghost of Wogan, I think, is oh. occasionally, occasionally oh. seeing him there. Um, anyway, <laughs> none of our US <laughs> listeners will get this. This is not a ter- this is not a Terry Wogan podcast. No, no, it's. However, we are going to be rather musical today because it's time for some Star Trek recap and ranking specifically of musical episodes, and this is one I've had on the list for a while now to the point of um they made a musical episode of star trek strange new world so i was like well there's there's another one that i can add to the list so i i felt quite pleased they're they're shaping their series to fit us now as it should be that said this episode is being recorded during the um writers and actors guild strikes in america and of course none of what we're watching and talking about today would be here without the writers and actors of the unions and so hollywood pay your goddamn fucking writers and actors damn straight so on that on that serious note before we go on to the episodes themselves what not star trek thing have you been enjoying since we last spoke well i was actually going to talk about um babylon 5 the road home uh, the recently animated movie, which came out last week, which is written by show creator and writer J. Michael Straczynski, and has like 90% of the surviving cast because Babylon 5 has a very high body count, sadly, in terms of like its main cast. But last night, my wife and I watched a little film called The Poseidon Adventure. Oh. And it's a it's one of those craptastic disaster movies, which is just really watchable in that kind of 1970s way. Um, it has an all-star cast. It has Ernest Borgnine and Gene Hackman playing the leads. And I swear, like, out of all the great Hollywood versus movies, we've had Godzilla versus King Kong, Dracula versus Frankenstein, and Borgnine versus Hackman in a contest to who can outact the other in this sinking upside down boat movie. Nice. It doesn't help that every time it does a close up of Borgnine's face, he is kind of staring in a way that makes him look vaguely deranged. Like the drugs have just kicked in. God, it's been years since I've seen Poseidon Adventure, and I think it's one of those ones we only saw part of 
when it aired on television. It's it, it's definitely one of those. This was on channel like ITV during Christmas in the mid afternoon. Yeah. Do they? That's, do they? That's a nice vibe for for a movie. Sometimes do. Do they still do that in the UK? Like, I remember when I was, like, in, growing up in, like, in the 80s and 90s, how during the Christmas, like, school break season, like, normal TV programming would just get chucked out the window, and it would just be films, like, during the day. Man, I, like, the only live television that I watch is Eurovision, so I <laughs> genuinely don't know. <laughs> So anyway, on that uh, Eurovision inspired <laughs> note, Charlie, what non-Star Trek thing have you consumed this week? Ah, uh, well, I have consumed and been consumed by the return of the Silt Verses. This is a uh, sp- kind of spooky podcast all about people living in a, a world where gods are real. Kind of question mark, and they are strange. So the first season of it followed a couple of worshippers of a river god called the Trawler Man, um, following this river all the way to a camp where their people are supposed to be to safe haven. Their god is an illegal one because this is the kind of world where you have permitted and non-permitted gods. You have sometimes gods will spring up where people start worshipping something they shouldn't or creating something. So you get serial mascots that have become gods, like Sweet Jolly Crunchtooth. And everyone, like so many people worship Saint Electric, the entity that makes the trains go and powers everything. And the second season ended on a number of cliffhangers. And um, the third season started just this past weekend. And it's it's exciting. It's the final one. And I'm very curious to see where it goes. And I'm really excited to see the, um, the role-playing game of the Silk Versus is due out soon. Where you play people all undergoing like religious existential crises, which make you perfect people to investigate gods that might have gone feral or weird or worshippers that might start doing kind of horrific things. We are getting a lot of RPG modules concerning podcasts. Like so it, many. They like they announced a Night Vale one, which yep. I am down, although I feel Night Vale is more of a fiasco style kind yeah. of game. So the people that are doing that of the people that have done a kind of 5e variant for power rangers transformers and gi joe and i i know they've done other things i desperately hope the night veil rpg is is like the other things or like yeah a one-off fiasco type thing i i know they've like i i just saw like mention of a of a magnus archives Mm -hmm. role-playing game and so i definitely had to check out silk versus i do like uh, creepy podcasts. Um, unfortunately, whereas before, I, I would love to spend minutes talking about this. We do have only like 75 minutes to talk about Star Trek before Zencaster has me pay for it. We are on a clock indeed. So Look, this is this is all Khan's fault. This is great. I, I keep meaning to make myself more punctual and better at timekeeping. And now Zencaster is forcing our hand slightly. So First of all, 
we have a musical episode of Star Trek Voyager. This one is from Season 6, Episode 13, titled Virtuoso. It aired on the 26th of January in the year 2000. What a science fiction-y sounding year. If I Living it up. It's all like that. Yeah, yep. we'd survived the Millennium Bug. And, um, and yeah, then we got to see this episode. Written by RAF Green, I assume for Royal Air Force there, and Kenneth Biller, and directed by Les Landau. Uh, the number one hits are, and I, I've been reading them the other way around to our usual UK and US. So, first of all, we've got Christina Aguilera with What a Girl Wants, and then the Manic Street Preachers answering, answering that with The Masses Against the Classes. The Masses Against the Classes. I realise my, my southern uh, <laughs> um, accent doesn't really help with that. The Masses uh, Against the Masses the Against the Classes. Classes. The monsters are getting the classes. Um, Christina Aguilera, it was fine. I, I think I don't know if the vision, the version I heard was like a remaster because it had a bit more like electric kind of thing ah. to it. It's fine. I admit I didn't listen to the preacher's song because as I was trying to find it on Apple Music, I saw that it did a cover of the Mash theme, and so I listened to that. And now I don't want to listen to any Manic Street Preachers songs again. Wow. Because, like, let's put it this way. You know how um, Madonna did the worst Bond song? It's like, a, it's like a canonically accepted fact. I think we talked yep. about it in our last episode. This is a terrible cover of a fantastically atmospheric song. Like, it's a song which is so great, you can take the lyrics out and just play the music for the TV show, because, yeah, apparently uh, US TV shows can't have the lyrics Suicide is Painless on uh, their weekly sitcom, and it still just kind of gets you in the heartstrings with, oh, war is horrible, but sometimes funny, but mostly horrible. So I didn't listen to the masses against the classes. I I did. It was fine. Um, I got heavily into Britpop-type music back in the 90s, mainly... Okay. Okay, my, like okay, Kieran Gillen. My my BFF at the time, Adam Kidd, he was a massive music person, and this was just as I was beginning to discover uh, the ability to buy my own music, or in in this case, get a load of things taped to taped for me by Adam. Oh. So like the first four Blur albums, and <laughs> we were there for Blur, for Oasis, less so Oasis. Mercy, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I got heavily into pulp, into garbage, into all of these kind of things. And Adam got massively into Ma the Manix. And this is something that often happened. And I just couldn't follow him there. They were fine. But they were not worth getting weirdly cultish about. Yeah. So I've never been as much of a fan specifically because of that. Um, but yes... So that's what was coming out at this point where um, Virtuoso came out. And I wonder whether our performer here would be able to do both of those tracks as well. Um, but we'll get on to that after Miles's recap, which um, play on, Maestro. The vo Okay, right. The Voyager encounters a technologically advanced race called the Comar. The, the um, they are 
treat they're very disdainful they treat the doctor as most karens treat starbucks staff don't ask me how i know um the doctor starts singing i've been working on the railroad and the eight the kamar are astounded you see they have the society of technology and mathematical perfection but they've never heard anything like music and they're all addicted like william s burroughs on heroin wow that's in poor taste but i don't care i'm going with it um wow. the voyager, voyager goes to the kamar home planet and like all of them they just want a slice of the doctor so the doctor is giving performances um he is he meets a um a kamar woman called what is her name uh two tucson uh yeah and like he, but he's becoming popular. He's becoming a celebrity. And the doctor, you know, we D- Charlie. In the time that we've seen the doctor, he's been a a, a humble, you know, he's a he's a humble, down to earth type of hologram. And will never let any of this stuff go to his head. Does he fuck? Yeah, from any bit of flattery will set him off. Like he he not he becomes Bono smug <laughs> and high in on high on his own fumes to the point where um he he has he has fan mail he has um he has kamari groupies and everyone else in the voyager is now just getting fed up of him um they want him to stay and perform and um the doctor is like actually you know what yeah i i want to i want to focus on my dreams i wish to resign because they don't because the Kamar don't see me as a piece of software. They see me as a human being. Stick a pin in that. Uh, mm-hmm. Janeway is a little upset because her main doctor is quitting, and they can only give Tom Paris so many jobs around the ship. It's not as if there's anyone else they can have do like the NHS, um, the NHS red, you know, red health uh, ambulance course. And so, but she begrudgingly you know, lets the doctor go and the doctor beams down because like, you know, the woman, the Kamar woman, he's become close with as he thinks as a thing. And she turns around and goes, actually, um, I've been sticking all your singing talents into a computer and I have created an AI algorithm, which can, Charlie, can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Just head in hands with the AI algorithm of it. The AI, you've you've kind of thrown and not only has it replicated your voice perfectly, it can sing in ways that you can't because she has started to create music based on mathematical fractions. Fractals. Mathematical fractals. The Doctor is put out in this. Um, this is ironic because he is... Um, the Doctor is against AI art despite being an artificial intelligence himself, and he realizes that, um, yeah... They, they see him as a piece of technology after all. He's been replaced by the next thing. Fame is indeed fleeting. And so, cap in hand, he returns to the Voyager and asks for his old job back. Janeway lets him keep his job. Let this be a lesson. And the episode ends with one more bit of fan mail. Not from any of the Kamar, but from Seven of Nine, who values his friendship and talents. Aww. Aww. The wow. end. Well, that is 59 seconds to go. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how, how, how quick it was. Like, oh, wait, time limit. Damn it. <laughs> yes, that definitely helped. I think this was, this was an interesting one, but 
there wasn't a huge amount to it. No, you know? like um, I, I thought this was going to be a comedy episode, and it kind of was, hmm. but it doesn't. The, the, my big problem with a lot of Star Trek stop when Star Trek tries to do comedy, um, the show kind of forgets that we're seeing trained professionals. Um, who are used to weirdness. Yeah. And so the, the, you know, the story then has to rely on kind of hand-waving the fact that the characters are going to be stupid for 45 minutes. Whereas this worked because it plays upon the Doctor's character flaw, which is his own ego, and then it's letting it go to 11. God, yeah. I, um... I've not seen this episode before, but I've definitely seen the Doctor's hubris episode. And yeah. well, I love the Doctor. He's a nice guy. He's good fun. But yeah, he does he does often do this. Uh, I'm shocked that Janeway hasn't gone right. He's getting ideas above his station. We need to <laughs> like, can we just edit him slightly? No, they they bring that up because he wants to have his musical subroutines. Removed, yeah. and she's like, "No, like that's part of who you are now." Yeah, this flawed, like, awful man. You are, you like, are that. You are, oh, doctor. Like, if you want to be, if you want to be treated like a human, like a person, like a member of the crew, and not just a computer, not just a thing, you have to accept your flaws and all. Mm. Um, the flaws, the responsibilities, all of it. Which, yeah. yeah, like, it was fascinating seeing the, um, seeing this group of aliens, because they seem, I don't know if over the seasons we've seen bigger and bigger alien civilizations or anything like that, but my word, like, they had an incredible civilization, incredible amount of technology, and uh, at the same time, are they just big enough cunts that no one wants to speak to them? I, I think they're essentially like they have the same behavior and attitude as tech bros on Twitter. Like that explains why they have this incredible technology, are really smug about it, yet can't write or produce anything themselves. Yes. Yeah, that was fascinating because I know you got like the Kazon and all that where they have, where they're not the most well rounded species, but they've got evidence of a culture yeah even if it's just you know in the background or the way their ships look or you know like the acampa settlements or any of those kind of things it's there's visible stuff where these guys the moment they were like oh yeah we've programmed our own doctor i i figured it would just be some kind of hollow simulacrum that then would sing when it just gave out noise it was it was amazing. It was hilarious. I, I <laughs> like it. It was very clear. Like when the the copy of the doctor was the the, the copy of the don doctor was singing, that it had no soul. Yeah, because it doesn't know what a song is. It is AIR all over again. It doesn't know why it makes like, noise. When you see the doctor sing, you can tell that he. You can tell that he's passionate. You can tell that he cares about. Like he he wants to like okay. It's his, it's his ego showing, but you know he he clearly wants to give a good performance. He definitely he wants to dress up in the appropriate costumes. He he wants to present this authentically. 
Yeah, he's got the level of snobbishness of a of a third Crane brother, almost. Yeah, but he, he has the he has like the passion mm. and dedication towards like music as an art form, and yeah, I, so, I like yeah. I was going to say this this did something Voyager never does. Oh, it, it gave Harry Kim something to do beyond oh, just oh being God. on the bridge. I when they introduced Harry Kim and the Kim Tones, I was like, "Oh no, has he found the only people lower than him? <laughs> Their band has to be named after him." It's like, "Oh no, are these for people he makes call him Captain?" You know, <laughs> like he's no, the no, bully no. of this of this clique of the literal worst. No, no, it's it's Harry Kim. He doesn't make them call him Captain. He makes them call him Lieutenant. Ah, of course. Yeah, one of the few episodes to have an extended bit about jazz and not be directed by Jonathan Frakes as well. I know. Shocking. I, does does any of the other crew members do anything? Because why are they making Paris the replacement doctor? Like, seriously, is a St. John's hot ambulance course that difficult to do in the future? In I the mean, Delta Quadrant. It seems like the first aid of training only happened for Kess and Paris. And that was it. It it does feel weird. I wonder if the doctor deleted it, like all the first aid <laughs> courses, just to make sure just to ensure his job security. Yeah, job security. <laughs> yeah exactly. Okay. On the on, on the subject of like job security and AI, mm. um, I work in a grocery store, so I have to deal with the use with like the the automatic use scan machines. Oh yeah, and they're terrible. Ninety percent, it's because of um, user incompetence. And I'm just like, yeah, that's that's what that's job security. That's what keeps me, that's what keeps me keeps me having a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. The ones in the Sainsbury's near us are always that that comforting reminder that Skynet won't really happen, or if it does, it'll be really <laughs> incompetent. And those are the good ones. Like, Look, Sky, Skynet, will probably, Skynet will probably be like a creation on Elon Musk. Like he's try, like he tries to fix Twitter and like create Skynet, but like crap Skynet, crap net. Yeah, yeah, just a planet littered in the dead bodies of tons of robots that never really did anything. He yeah. mostly blew themselves up. And he'll yeah. still be complaining about people wanting to block him. Of course. <sighs> Such a child. Um, speaking of children, were these aliens, like, just short people? Or were they, like, were they hobbiting it? And, like, on? it felt like some of them were on their knees at some angles and then kind of taller in others. I think they're short. They're short actors because, like, the main leader of the of the of the race is played by Paul Williams, um, who is a musician, music producer, plus actor. He, I think, he wrote the Rainbow Connection for the Muppets. Oh yeah, Bugsy Malone's is Paul Bugsy, Williams. Bugsy Malone, like um, the, the the camp classic uh, film Phantom of the Paradise, which is. Amazing! It's uh, it's Faust uh, meets the Phantom of the Opera with like seventies like el electronic music. It's um it's quite a spectacular piece of cinema. That does um, so sound I... like a good a good version of a Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, and he plays the villain in that. And also, I think he was in Dex's Laboratory. Oh wow! 
Um, he, he's been around. So, like, yeah, I, I get the thing they probably went for shorter stature actors so the Doctor could literally loom over them. Yes. So, okay. Uh, I was going to... Originally, I was thinking with the other episodes of discussing the tracks of music, but the Doctor... Like, he did a lot of classical stuff. He did a lot of copyright-free music. Yes. Yeah. And, and yeah, just seeing what, what there was. You know, there's the I've Been Working on the Railroad, which, yeah, given the treatment he had by, yeah. by his patients, that's fair. Yeah. I, there was a bit of opera. Um, there are there some jazz, which then kind of went like a like a kind of a, a, a crooner number. Yes. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, the Kim Tones weren't bad musicians, but... Um, they just had a bad audience. They really did. And I I think I managed to cunningly lose my notes before we started recording. I think I did end up writing down there that there are a few pot shots about fans oh, in definitely. here. It's like, you can tell this is se- the penultimate season of a, a long-run TV show. Where it's yeah. like, fans, oh, you mean like fanatics, of course, from Seven. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. we know. Man, Do- Doctor Who did that gag in the third episode of its of its um, returning season with Chris Rackleston. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then, of course, there is just the content slurry of the uh, the fake doctors singing as well, which yeah. is like just gloriously bad. Um, so yeah, like as a as a musical episode, it was mostly it, it, just a doctor episode. It was yeah, fine. there was like, music in it. Um, you know, like my ne- remit. Ne- Neelix became his agent. And thankfully, <sighs> thankfully, Neelix didn't feel Spectre anyone. No, no. Although I bet, given enough time, he would. Um, <laughs> he oh. did have real Del Boy vibes, and I, I'm pleased that six seasons in, we haven't forgotten that Neelix is the Del Boy Trotter of space. But yeah, yeah, you guys don't even do money, but we're here with this grift. I don't know how it works. <laughs> so, yes, Neelix, we know. He, he's just doing it to feel good at this point. Yes, yeah, it's morale. After yeah. All. All right, so, yeah. So you know, it's it's a fun like it's a fun episode, which mm. you know it's. But where does it go in the big list? Because we do not have a lot of. Let's see. I think our highest well, Voyager Mars. episode. Yes, by big list, you mean our big list of best to worst Star Trek episodes. Yes, we do. Yeah, it's it's getting pretty big now. We're on the on the road to a hundred at this point. We have sixty five entries going all the way from Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan, our brand new number one. I I do need some like chart show music or something. Number one. Thank you. Um, yeah, around the midpoint, we have. Data Law for the Next Generation with at Data's Dirtbag At number 32. Yeah. And then finally, at the very, very bottom, at 65, we have Strange New Worlds, Lift Us Where Suffering Cannot Reach, 
with the machine where you plug in a boy and it kills them to make a city float and Starfleet do nothing about it. Number 65. Ouch. Fucking child death machine. So, um, yeah, from that, uh, where do we want Virtuoso to go? Because we've, we've had a few bits and pieces of Voyager. Like Our big one, of course, was Tuvix, which is all the way up in number 22. Our highest ranking uh, Voyager episode is Drone at number 17, where Evan has a, uh, a Borg son from the future. Yeah, that was shockingly good for what it was. Um, I, this is a difficult one. Because, like, it's an interesting sci-fi idea. It's a nice little character study of the Doctor. Um, it's better than that one Voyager episode with the Hollow Clown. Oh, God, yes. But, like, yeah, we, um, let's have a but look. the Thor is our lowest Voyager in 61. So it's uh, where, where the Dream Clown belongs. To be honest, looking at Tuvix as a as a thing here, I think Tuvix is probably better as like not only the thought experiments of a Tuvix, but the way it affects everyone. Like, this is a good Doctor episode, but there are a lot of Doctor episodes and a lot of Doctor and, Hubris episodes. And then we have number thirty six, um, Jatrell, which is a Neelix episode where he confronts a war criminal. And, like, our, our high-ranking Voyager episodes aren't don't get that high on the list, but it does seem like um, there are some... It's creeping up there. Yeah, but, like, this... I would say this is definitely in the, um, in the 40s section. Let's see, what have we got there? Like, Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. Oh, that was good fun. The game. Oh, actually... I think I'd still put the game above it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh. Um. Hmm. Mm. Is um, it we, we... the start of season three of Picard? I I think season three of Picard is worth it, if only for um Jonathan Frakes' wonderful snark as old old man Raker. This is true. Yeah. Oh God, am I uh, going to push Cat's paw down again? Okay, I see. Uh, that said, we've got Coda, which has some fun bits, but never quite lived up to the potential that it could yeah. have had. I would definitely put this as better than Coda. Okay, uh, so better than Coda, worse than the next generation, which yeah. is the episode of Picard for next yep. generation. Excellent. So yeah, that makes it our new number 45. Wow. Okay, so... Next up, we have just for one song, but it is quite the song. So this time we have Picard, season two, episode six, titled Two of One. This is the episode where I started trying to figure out if I could do an entirely music-based episode of Casual Trek, because we need more Picard on the board, whether we want to watch it or not. Uh, this aired on the 7th of April 2022, written by Cindy Apple and Jane Maggs, directed by Jonathan Frakes himself. The UK and US number one hits are Dave, 
with Starlight. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I, I can't help but think of the name. Only Fools and Horses has ruined the name Dave. It's not how yeah. Because you just every time you hear the name Dave, you just want to go. You just want to play your best trigger and go. All right, Dave. I mean, maybe that's what I've never heard of this guy before. Maybe that's what he was going for. Yeah. yeah so there's that, and then the US had glass animals with heat waves, which I think the first time I heard it, I was like, "This is fine," and it's just a bit annoyingly earwormy. Um, mm. Dave was fine like had a nice rhythm to it yeah like it, it has um a cover of uh fly me to the moon mm. and, and like given that the the album art for the song looks like a dragon ball z character and you have fly me to the moon which is quite famously used as the ending theme for even the, the anime neon genesis evangelion i think dave's a bit of a weeb uh, good for him good for him yeah, I yeah, it was yeah. fine. I I wanted it to be something a bit more memorable, especially with the Fly Me to the Moon. There. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was all right. It was all right. Like Starlight, not not Starlight Heat Wave. Like it's, I'm sure I'll end up listening to it again. Hmm. If only because I'm sure it's going to end up on like one of my vaporwave playlists. I kind of um. <laughs> Listen to it like nine o'clock at night when I'm just kind of reading. Fair enough. Yeah, I could see it being fairly backgroundy like that. Yeah, and that's fine. Like sometimes music can, is just like easy listening. Music is a genre for a reason. Yeah, I mean you know like Coldplay exists and they are very much white noise. Oh my god! Like I think uh, I, I, since I hit forty last month, I think my uh, my midlife crisis is is uh, manifesting itself. And uh -oh. actually, and actually, listening to Coldplay songs. Ha! Huh. See, my partner listens to them when she's writing because exactly that it is wallpaper. Yeah, it, it's it's been good to listen to at work when I'm like I'm in like the um the back room doing the bookkeeping for my job because it's nice to have like kind of just like banal music to just kind of break up the silence. Wow! Speaking of breaking up the silence. I believe I've got a recap to do. Yeah, you have a episode of Star Trek Picard. Yeah. Um, ju just so just so you know, you are allowed to just say Jurati sings a song, and then have that be the <laughs> entire recap because that would be keeping in the theme of the episode of the of our episode. Oh, there's so much more though. All right, okay, Charlie, you yep. have five minutes, so. Make it so like Benatar. Wow, I will hit you with my best shot. Uh, so Picard has gone back in time to LA in 2024, cues up some mischief with Adam Sung, yes, another bloody Sung, and trying to sabotage Picard's ancestor, Renee, stopping her from going to a Europa space mission by pretending to be her therapist and playing on her mental illness. This means it's heist time, baby. The group are having to break into a party to stop Renee from quitting the mission. And Gerati's been arrested and no one knows. She's secretly got a bald queen in her head. She's gone all Scorpius. Oh, God. We start off with a heist with Picard and Talon, basically a kind of cosmic version of Laris, who everyone thought could have been given more, more airtime. 
Uh, she's here to help Renee, but also not to actually do anything about it. Uh, they're schmoozing, and Rios needs some help with getting into the party. Security stop him, and Gerati basically surrenders a little more control to the Borg Queen in order to knock some people out, break free, and let Rios in. The Borg Queen decides now it's time to party. Raffi, on the other hand, is very much not in the party mood. She's trying to resist the booze. And Rios is very much not resisting the cigars. He fucking loves the 21st century. He also fancies a 21st century nurse that he met in a, an illegal clinic. Um, Seven is actually doing all right at the infiltration. Raffi is still not doing well. She's hallucinating Elrond, who died at the start of the season. No, I'm not going to get his name right. Picard tries to help Gerati, who's been um, drinking. I, I, think his, I think his name is actually Glorfindel. Oh, fuck. Sorry, Glorfindel. <laughs> Glorfindel. Um, <laughs> Picard tries to help Gerati, who's been drinking. Uh, the Borg Queen gets her to kiss Rios, who freaks out at uh, that. And yeah, Renee, she's also been drinking like a fish. She's trying to work up the nerve to quit on the mission. Picard runs off to stop her, and is stopped himself by Adam Sung, who knows who he is what oh no he's working with q and he calls security on picard they need a distraction what better distraction than music the borg queen cuts for power and agnes begins to sing pat benatar's shadows of the night uh the song is so loaded from the perspective of the borg queen who basically uses all of the excitement of this to entirely take control of Girati. Uh, that's the bad news. The good news is the group actually do get a bit of time to uh, to regroup. Picard confronts his ancestor and asks her about a shuttle, gives a nice kind of Christopher Nolan, Batman, Alfred Pennyworth type speech, all about his mum and the depression and all of that. And oh, and also he needs to collect her for a toast. Is she going to join him? Yeah, she's suitably inspired. She thinks she will until... Adam Sung, who's pissed off at all his evil plans, never working, decides, fuck it, I'm going to hit her with a car. He fails, though, because Picard gets in the way, shoves her out, shoves her out of the way, and now he needs medical attention. He gets taken to Rios's nurse friend, who has to operate on him. And because Picard is mostly synthetic now, there are some very dramatic reactions. Rios tries blaming it on her child, which is a real classy move there, Rios. Sung goes home, sees Kore, his daughter, who is unable to leave the house without literally dying. We're not quite sure why, but it's something weird. He monologues about to himself about not being able to villain break, because he's a real piece of shit. Corey starts looking at her dad's stuff and confirms, yes, he is literally a mad scientist. They say it in the newspapers. Also, she's one of many, many attempts to rebuild his daughter, and he'll do anything, no matter how unscrupulous, to make sure she survives. Back over with Team JL, he's unconscious and trapped in some kind of traumatic flashback. So Talon needs to go and inception him. What could go wrong? Oh, yeah, the poor queen. We left Gerati behind again, and she's wandering off. A Borg queen in the night, in the shadows of the night. Oh, dear. At the end. 22 seconds. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um... Okay, I'm just going to say this. 
Do you know which member of the TNG cast they should have got to play Professor Xavier in the X-Men films? Brent Spiner. They should have oh shaved his head. I think he could do, like, the unscrupulous, the ends justify them. Like, I, I can see a Brent Spiner Professor X locking a sentient danger room in the basement for the good of the dream. Yeah, when it goes, oh, where am I? What's going on? And he goes, I didn't hear anything. <clears throat> um, it was just for wind. Yeah, I get, that would work surprisingly well. Brent Spiner, obviously, we know him mainly as Data. And yeah. at this point in Picard season two, we've seen him again and again and again. And when I first saw him, I was like, oh, God, not again. But he does a very good job of being a complete heel. You know, not I, a good one, not an effective yeah. heel. Because yeah, he just oh oh, Adam, oh I've 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 goofed again. Oh no, I've is, whiffed it. Is this the first time in all of Star Trek's televised and movie history that someone has quite literally tried to solve their problems by hitting them with a fucking car? Um, God. I don't know. I've not seen a huge amount of time travel stories. There's got to be some more of that down the line. But um, but yeah, this felt like the most blatant. Right. Plan A has failed. Plan B yep. just fucking hits all with a car. Job done. Job. Um, yeah. <laughs> Join you should have done. Mm-hmm. Attack, attack Picard with a little bit of lead pipe. Yeah. Yeah. As we saw last episode, lead pipe solves all else apart from, you know, the person being hit with it coming back to this season it does suffer from being way too serialized and i i got so excited when i was like oh my god this is the heist one and it's not even the heist episode because it's part two of the heist because part one was a, a thing and the next part's a whole thing and it's it's too a bit too serialized as a whole if this was just the episode that was a heist and it's got a musical number then that would have been quite nice i you know i i forgot how fun rios is as a character yes yeah rios is good seven doesn't get a huge amount to do but i like that in this season she's getting a little more like not necessarily chill because seven is the the antithesis of chill, but um, she takes to infiltrating the present day and like reconnecting a bit with Raffi as well. And again, that's a relationship that we we don't get much of or don't do much with in Picard season three, but is quite good here. Yeah, it's I, I enjoyed. I admit, like I am not. This is. The third episode of Picard season two I have watched, but thankfully, like the recap was enough to kind of keep me on, on like on board. I guess. Um, oh, and for I, a heavily serialized show, they do a good job in constantly telling you where we're at in the story. Because yeah, I, I can't I guess, remember where we were. At. I guess at some point, um, she shotgunned a cop. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's like um, seven. Base seven. So, uh, musical numbers, all one of them. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mostly know Pat Benatar from Rock Band and Guitar Hero. 
and I feel that's that's my sin. Like I feel I probably should know more. In fact, I watched the music video before we recorded, and it was very good fun. I mostly know Pat Benatar from in the eighties. Uh, the the music producer Giorgio Moroda. Oh yeah. Um, did a edit and retent of the film Metropolis, the Fritz Lang silent film, okay. where he cut it down to 80 minutes, like 80 to 90 minutes. This is a three-hour film. And then slapped a all-new wave kind of music score. He got um, musicians like Freddie Mercury, uh, John Anderson, Bonnie Tyler, Adamant, oh, and wow. uh, Pat Benatar to do songs for the album. My word, um, that sounds which, great. Which I do, I admit, I do possess this album on vinyl. It's a guilty pleasure of mine because a lot of those songs really kind of rock in that early 80s sort of pop slash new wave slash synth in the way the, the early 80s only ever did. Nice. And I think she did like Here's My Heart, which is the, um, I think that's the love song of Metropolis. But yeah, like it's it's a it's a good album. Yeah, um, I find Alison Pillow a tricky one for the she is a Borg queen part of it. Like she's there dressed in one of six from Battlestar Galactica's castoffs, and like I I still mostly remember her as um, Kim Pine from um, Scott Pilgrim. Wait, so, holy! Wait, really? Yeah. She's she's Kim from Scott Pilgrim. Oh, sorry, Kim. Yeah, that was the drummer, right? Yeah, yeah. The one who who says we are sex bomb and Scott Pilgrim's gonna kick your teeth. That, yeah. Okay, I can see it now. Yeah. Um. And I just yeah. Um. I I have difficulty really necessarily going. Okay, yeah, she's going to be all femme fatale and do all this, and I think that possibly works better for yeah Girati doesn't know how to do any of this or be all like ball queeny with it so letting the ball queen drive and having a like as the scorpius in Girati's head kind of worked man if only they went full scorpius had the ball queen like wearing a hawaiian shirt oh that'd be so good so um where would you say this goes in the big list uh right so it's better than picard episode one season one definitely but that's in 63 out of now 66. So, you Number know, there are, <laughs> there are at least 62 episodes better than that already. Um, like this, there are some shenanigans. And I, yeah. I know both in, in my messaging to you and on here, I've said, I fucking love hijinks. Like Star Trek hijinks. Yeah, sometimes they get the comedy episodes a bit bad, but. You know, you got a heist, and I like a good heist. I am looking at, um, I'm looking at uh, Strange New World number sixty. Yep. Like, I think it's better than Strange New World. Uh, yep. Like, it's okay. I think it's definitely better than number fifty nine, despite yourself from Discovery. I don't think it's as good as number fifty eight, which is um, triple body horror with more troubles, more triples for the oh, animated series. God, that's that's a tricky one. 
Um, actually, no, no, it's not. I'm looking at what's above it, and Lost and Found for Prodigy is better. I still need to get some physical copies of Prodigy in order to um, be able to cover it again on this show. I mean, Encounter at Farpoint is always the big, a big challenge there. Yeah. But, um, but it's probably better than this. Like, the shenanigans are fine, but it's. It is trying so hard to be a, pre- a prestige drama yeah, kind of show. And that only comes off as a disadvantage for it. Um, I mean, look, normally if it'd be like, oh yeah, here's a silly episode of the cartoon where there's some colouring errors thanks to someone's colour blindness and all these kind of weird things going on. I'd be like, ah, that's a bit more frivolous nonsense. But you're right, the body horror. Like, the body horror gets it. Um, Because even now, even now I'm disturbed by the prospect of the Tribbles that are, like, just being born, pregnant, and die. Just, yeah, no. Just, yeah. Yeah, 58. No, no, number 59, U59. New 59, it's probably going to be one of the higher rated episodes of this season. I think I can only think of maybe one contender for going above it. And it's because, yet again, hijinks. Hijinks. All right. Love those hijinks. Works for me. Okay. So we have one episode left. And this is the big one. This is the one that this episode should have been planned around, not the uh, not the episode of Picard. Our final performance of the evening is Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 9, titled Subspace Rhapsody. This aired on the 3rd of August, 2023, the same month that we're recording this. Jesus, that's close. Um, it's written by Dana Horgan and Bill Wolkoff, directed by Dermot Downs. And the number one hits, guess what? For the UK, Dave again. Uh, all, right, Dave. Along with, all right, Dave. With Central Sea and Sprinter. And uh, the US had Morgan Wallen with Last Night. And yeah, again, the Dave one, fine. I think I preferred the other one because the Fly Me yeah. to the Moon hook. And Morgan Wallen is one of those, like, it's, it's country is just not my, my thing. No. Like, metal is not my thing at all. Country I can appreciate a bit of, but I just, just no. I don't know. I, I've, I'm sure there's some country that I have liked, but this is not it. They're fine. The songs are, like, the songs are fine. It's like, yeah. I, they're not Ed Sheeran. They're not Ed Sheeran. It's shocking to think they're kind of seeing a couple of very recent artists and they're not the same people again and again and again, like your Sheerans and that. Yeah. I'm quite have pleased we, with that. Have we had any have we had any Swift turn up on the show? Like once, I think. Like, okay. Yeah, where is she? God damn. She's on tour. Oh yeah, she's too busy. Okay, yeah. fine. All right. Fine. Okay, so on that note, more, on that note, I believe 
Uh, yeah, once more with feeling from Mr. Miles. Subspace. It's a sub in space. Um, the Enterprise has found a subspace anomaly, which they're trying to use to make sub to make subspace messages transmit faster across space. Um, they're getting no luck. Uh, Spock and Uhura and Pelia are working on it, and Spock suggests that they beam in a song, and Nyota picks a song from a musical, plugs it in. Uh, meanwhile, James Kirk, Lieutenant James Kirk, is on the Enterprise again to get some lessons in being a number one from Una. La'an has this weird, she had a crush on him um, in alternate timelines, all very X-Men right now with timeline shenanigans. So she is pining from afar. Um, the subspace thing happens, and immediately everyone in the ship starts breaking into song for no good reason. It turns out that they've broken subspace by creating an infinite improbability effect where they're now somehow in a universe where everyone, where the rules and musicals apply and not a, an, uh, a universe where they're all bunnies. I doubt it'll be bunnies. Hopefully it's not bunnies. Mbenga wasn't. Mbenga doesn't want to be, Mbenga doesn't want to be Mbunny. Um, so yeah, the crew keeps breaking into song during emotional moments. Um, Una and Kirk break into song when Una when they're discussing um, what would make Kirk a good commander, and we see how Una's opening up to opening up with kind of being a little bit more hands on and just one of the team instead of just kind of reserving herself. Um, Laan sings a song about how she wants a slice of Kirk, no matter the timeline shenanigans, and we get a song from Una and La'an with Una telling her to go for it. Get that slice oh Jim. Um, the Klingons aren't liking this because the subspace effects are spreading and they've reached Klingon space. Ooh, what could the Klingons be singing? <gasps> and so the Klingons are coming to blow up the subspace anomaly, which when Kurt, when Spock and Uhura, who are trying to solve the problem, try blowing up a small amount of the subspace, it nearly destroys the ship. Okay, so blowing shit up, not, not happening. No. Meanwhile, Pike and Battelle, um, his captain girlfriend, it's com it's ca it's complicated. Um, get into a song on the bridge because uh, Pike won't commit to Battelle's um idea for a holiday and this gets this is getting awkward meanwhile chapel who has been dating spock on the side um has gotten a work placement scholarship with a dr corby sick a pin in that for late for a forthcoming episode and so she's planning to leave and she lets spock know by singing a fuck it i'm breaking up with you number very t swift oh what and, a number uh, what a number. Spock doesn't like this and, and Spock's out. Um, Uhura thinks she's got something. Um, Spock sings a song about how emotions are terrible and he's not doing emotions again and he leaves. Um, Uhura sings a song about how she is slowly starting to feel connected to everyone and then she realizes that's it. That's how we save this. We have to follow the rules of musicals and we got to do a big show-stopping finale and everyone has to sing to reach a certain amount of points so we win Space Eurovision. 
Yeah. And so Uhura leads the crew in a song about how they're all connected because they're the crew of the Enterprise. And then the Klingons turn up and they get on the screen and they start singing K-pop and it's awesome. <laughs> and um, the, the the ships start doing a dance, like doing a twirling dance in space. And all the main cast come onto the bridge for that final show-stopping number. And they hit it. And the subspace f- uh, fissure closes. Everyone stops singing. And everyone's kind of doing that take a bow, clap, everything. And it's, ooh, it's kind of awkward between Spock and Chapel. And everything goes back to normal until Uhura starts singing. And everyone's just like, oh, no, not again. To which Uhura just kind of goes, what? It was a kind of a catchy song. <laughs> jazz hands, the end. Oh, good jazz hands there. Good. Good work. And with 15 seconds to spare. Oh, um, oh this was... I, I, I know that it was corny as hell. But, like, that last song, as utterly cheesy as it was, I was re-watching subspace rhapsody last night it's like oh oh this is this is just so joyous like it's it's charming it's charming as hell it's i get that musical episodes are like time loop episodes and things like that for every genre tv show has to do it at least once you know like buffy did it with once more with feeling i think the magicians a criminally underrated show did it at least a couple of times and then Riverdale just intermittently makes it decides to go a bit musical I, sometimes just once an episode every now and then I've heard rumors that they might be doing a musical episode of Doctor Who for like the forthcoming season uh Doctor Who have done a musical episode before um mm. there is a big finish audio called Doctor Who and the Pirates right which is told in a told in unreliable narrator for each episode, but the third episode becomes a full on kind of Gilbert and Sullivan style musical, where Colin Baker, who has some fantastic pipes, um, sings a cover of "I Am a Very Model of a Modern Major General" called oh, "I Am the Very Model of a Gallifreyan Buccaneer," and it's it's delightful. So yeah, I think every kind of most shows have tried to do a musical episode. Um, You've got anime like uh, the Mac- the Macross sci-fi uh, mecha franchise, which has the idea that pop music will literally stop a space war. So music and pop singers are an integral part of this uh, space franchise. Macross is well known in the West uh, for being the show they cannibalized to make the good part of Robotech. Oh, I see. That's why I've heard of it. Yeah. I mean... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you do make it sound appealing with that. And this is as someone who is very tired of Jeff Johns's. all you have to do is hope and then not take any action and somehow, you know, politics will fix itself and everything will be fine. But going, yeah, fuck it, music will do this. This this is a fra- this is a franchise where in one show they quite literally punch out a Cthulhu sized space monster with like a power ballad. Nice. Like it's it's a it's a it's a franchise where, um, in one series, the main character controls his transforming fighter jet with a guitar. Okay, it's, yeah, this does sound. This does it's, sound. It's like kind of I have a pop as hell or metal as hell. Um, but yeah, this episode is delightful. It I think it does the difficult job of having to wrap up 
all the character arcs in time for the finale next week. Oh my god, yeah, and that finale is is raw, man. That is there's a lot of a, a lot of grim stuff going on and tense stuff and an episode like this just to go let's have fun with it. And the fact yeah. that it you can tell both in the performances of the actors and in the behavior of the characters, you know, uh, there is a, a a variety in the reactions of people going, ah, fuck it, it's a musical now. I work in a musical. Isn't that great? And the people that are freaking out, like Lan, pretty much sounding like she's going to going to try and campaign for everyone to go in their rooms until it goes away, rather yeah. than actually sing her feelings out loud, which again, always, always love Lan for, for that kind of thing. I love that Una is becoming like that idea of yeah, she doesn't care about singing her truth because she's open she's, and fine with she, that now. She now did it. She not. did it. Yeah, like she's 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 out and proud, basically. Well, yeah, and there's um the the moments of things like watching the um like Ortegas and ah, oh, how have I forgotten her name? The other woman on the helm, the, the one who they swap places with. Yeah, um, when. When they're both using the controls at the same time, like it's a dance sequence. Yeah, but they're just innately synchronized, like it's like it's a musical, and that you get that repeatedly from people in the background. It's like, yeah, they are they are coordinating. Yeah. It's for for a, a genre trope of the musical episode, which can seem quite tired sometimes and quite contrived sometimes. I mean, we've all survived through Glee. Um, but you get a real sense of they're having fun with the mechanics I, of a musical being reality I, all of a sudden. I think with like with musicals, like with traditional, like big, like either stage shows or Hollywood or Hollywood musical, mm. I think it doesn't help that we exist in a time where the musical cinematically is kind of a dead genre. We get like one throwback every five or six years by the guy who did Moulin Rouge, uh, because like, <sighs> well, or um, thingy as well. Ro Rocky Heartless. Well, no, Rocky um, Hamilton guy. Oh, uh, yeah, have, yeah, Lin Manuel guy. Miranda. Who yeah. like uh, mu like musicals only really sort of exist in Disney films, like and people forget that the musical was a big Hollywood staple for a good chunk of the 20th century until new Hollywood and increased realism in films mm. kind of killed what was a very tired genre that yes, musicals are these very sort of artificial, very stagey kind of product, but you have to kind of buy into it. And I think that's what helps that the, that, it exists in a world where this episode is in a world where everyone knows what musicals are as an art form. And then you just have like Pike says like, no, 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 not doing this. I ain't singing. <laughs> oh, and meanwhile, Uhura's having the best time. Yes. Yeah. This is very much an Uhura episode. The fact that she's kind of, kind of encouraging Spock to go and deal with the fact that Chapel has got her, 
her like um her job and hasn't really told Spock, but everyone kind of knows. And even yeah. though everyone's fine with the fact that he's engaged someone else, but seeing Chapel and all that, well, it's like that um, pushing pushing him a bit towards a very good number that, uh, that Chapel does. A very fun I, one, which is going to inspire emotions and going to get... Yeah the readings that she wants. Celia Rose Gooding, who plays Uhura, is a Tony Award-winning actress. So, mm. they definitely, you know, they... The writers knew what they were doing with um, who they got. I I love the friendship between Spock and Uhura in Strange New Worlds. Mm. Um, and how it's kind of grown and kind of leads into the kind of friendship we see implied very early on in TOS. Yeah. Um, I... I yeah, well, I, I, Kirk, like we've we spoke of Kirk previously when we did did the uh, the Strange New Worlds Balance of Terror, and yeah. and it was that thing of the more that we have seen him, the more impressed I've been with him. Like Paul Wesley, yeah. I saw someone saying Paul Wesley is not being Shatner; he's being Kirk. Like no, he's definitely. doing his own spin on Kirk, and you get that. That kind of cheeky little smile, that kind of you know, um, he's a little, a little more casual with his crew, and um, yeah, it he works in the role very yeah. well. He's definitely grown on me. Yes, and yeah, and yeah, um, there's so something I was trying to remember. I've definitely seen something lately, or it might just be reading more stylized comics occasionally and speaking to people that seem to just want very literalized illustrations in their sequential art and that love of the the ability for comics to represent non-literal space oh that's it spider-verse Across oh yeah, the Spider Verse. Watching that and going, it represents emotion in mm. the colours, the lines, the movement, all of that. And while I'm not a musicals person, uh, I've definitely seen more musicals now that I've been going out with Emma for years. And I've like, even though I am, yeah, not a musicals person, I have appreciated a number of them when you go, yeah, this isn't a, a one for one literal space. This is, as they say, literally in the show, the emotions are too much and yeah. they need to represent the emotions to you, the audience, to go, fucking That's... hell, here's this situation. I think a couple of the topics aren't aren't the best in the kind of way that I can't imagine listening to status report without watching the episode. Yeah. I, um, I I think I can listen to I'm the X because like that's a that's I think one of the better songs. It is. Um, and how it manages to keep Spock in character while giving him the sad breakup song. Oh uh, Ethan Peck does such a good like, yeah, it is mopey, it's sad, but it's so very controlled and so very Spock. Mm. You know, even if he's been having his emotions and all of that this season, it Me is still very Spock. Meanwhile, Chapel gets the breaking up with a fuckboy song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, God, she, yeah, she has some good fun in that, um, like, the Enterprise bar. 
there and like gets everyone dancing kind of retro TOS kind of dancey style. Um, to be honest, uh, while I was thinking after rewatching it yesterday, yeah, I wouldn't listen to any of these independently. Like just the the feeling of we are one as much as it mm. is very much from this episode and that scene, it still felt very heartwarming and inspirational. Like the the music of it is one that is stuck in my head. Um yes. so yeah, I, I think they did a good job with so, what did you what did you think of K-pop Klingons? I see. I was thinking as that boy band Klingons. I, I am so unfamiliar with K-pop. I've had it either described as K-pop Klingons or boy band Klingons, and just people like complaining that they're not singing an opera. It's just it's it's the ultimate personification of that's the joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a musical. It's going to have something a bit. A bit lighter. You, you're not going to go there, and there'll be some sort of dirgy sea shanty or whatever you imagine Klingon opera to be. Yeah. It's it's good. Like it's and... a fun moment in a very up song, and going over there to a grim opera wouldn't. Yeah. Work no. And track. of course, um, a cameo from uh, Bruce Horak, who played Hammer as the Klingon captain. Yes. That was cool. Favorite character. Always, always glad to see him again. Yes. Yeah, it was cool. All right. For our showstopper, where does this go? I mean, where does this go on the big list? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's one of the good ones. You know, just looking for the Strange New Worlds is. Like, we've got Spockamock at 21, which is some good, good old-fashioned hijinks. We've got, you know, your fun body swap going on there. Like, is it better than that? Is it better than Odo fucking exploding? Which is a couple <laughs> of spots up at 19. Like, uh, the thing is, the story in this is very light. The, the but it's story is the story. The, it's about the, the vibe. The, story is, the story is basic, but then, like, musical stories, like, have to be basic because, you know, the story, the story is just the vehicle to put the songs on. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like West Side Story is basically Romeo and Juliet. Like, it's the basic love story, a love tragedy, but that's like, that's just what you need to hang. Like, very few people go, I don't think most people go to musicals for the plot, unless no. it's Rocky Horror. But even then, you're still going for the songs, for the audience participation, for the experience. And this yeah, was definitely... You, you for experience. everything in Rocky Horror. You know, again, not necessarily the plot, but the vibe, the feel. Yeah. yeah. All of it. Um... S- Yeah, it's a tricky one. This is yeah, definitely this is one I could see myself revisiting from this season more than oh, the I, others. I and there are some that I'm definitely wanting to go. I back. can't wait to revisit this one when I get to the rewatch with Rihanna, my wife, because mm. I know she's gonna love it. Because yeah, like well, she's def. Also, oh, she's gonna love it for the Capella cover of the op- in the opening credits um, oh, because didn't she didn't even cover that that was wonderful because she was in she was in school band so she would she she was basically in the glee club she was a glee she, so like she will definitely be like, okay i love how when the showstopper like when 
our mission ends and it cuts into the classic bum 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 ba 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 for the for like the old classic Star Trek closer. God, this is so much fun. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, this this is better than Odo fucking exploding. Okay. Okay. I, I could I could I could watch this. I could watch them I could watch some of these these um numbers again and again. Like I could YouTube some of this shit. Definitely. Definitely, like, yeah. You know, okay, does it have a does it have like a sci fi message? Does it have like a does it have a moral core? Yeah. Musicals are fun. There you go. There's the there's the deep this is like this is this is as apolitical as Star Trek gets, which is musicals are really fun. We should appreciate them more. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. Well, um, okay, bumping up a bunch to a different performance entirely. There is Conscience of the King in position number twelve. Ooh. Yeah, I figured let's let's go for a difficult choice here. Uh Conscience of the King is better. It is it is a bit like I know I, I don't idolize it as much as you do, but yeah, Conscience yeah. of the King has some wonderful moments. Okay. That's right. Um, we've got TNG's preemptive strike where they go, oh, what if Enterprise possibly bad, actually, and Roe good? Or at least that was very much the perspective I went about right. with. Do you, okay, is this better than a mock time at number 14? The iconic, quite <sighs> possibly one of the most iconic classic Trek episodes. So... Is this going to become one of the all-time iconic Star Trek episodes? Oh, I hope so. Same I here. Hope so. I love a mock time. I love the fight. I love the the blasted high fantasy waste of Vulcan. Um, all of that kind of stuff is good. I think this is just non-stop fun, though. I think this might <sighs> might beat uh, it in my eyes, but you know, if you've got a argument for me no, about that. I, I I don't have an I don't have an argument. So yeah, let's do it. In the spirit right. of in the spirit of compromise, we have a new number fourteen. Nice. Okay, that's that's good. That is a nice fairly high one in a list of fairly high episodes. So with that, that is everything, all of the music out of our system. I'd say that I am almost certainly going to leave here and then put on YouTube and find some of the tracks from Subspace Rhapsody. So, and you and you said you wouldn't listen to it individ- independently as a track of music, as a fair track enough. of music. Okay. All right, like, fair enough. As an actual, like a yeah, in relation to what's going on around it, yeah, I'd, I'm definitely going back to some of these. So. That's it for this episode. Um, we have we can be found online in places like uh, the Nerd and Tie website, Kofi, um, Blue Sky, where we're Casual Trek. Are we Casual Trek or Casual Trek Pod? I, th- I, I think, can't remember. I we can. Let me let me check. I think we're Casual Trek. Yeah, take that. Whoever had the name Casual. That I think was about walking. On, yeah, we have we're, we're casual trek dot social. That's it. 
yeah you can find me at fakestales.com where i talk about indie rpgs and uh, skyshock.itch.io for my comics and over on blue sky as skyshock and then the rest for usual blue sky address what about you you can find me on mareadlobato.wordpress.com for my blog which is um has been a bit lapse of late but it's been a it's been a hectic couple of months and i hope i should get back to that soon and you can also find me on blue sky at milesreadlobato.bluesky.social um oh by the way we're on twitter uh, who cares who cares it's twitter yeah. who, who cares anymore um yeah you can also you can find us at those fine places where fine conversation is occasionally happening, although it does feel demoralizing, as nice as Blue Sky seems to be, to have to go through, you know, what I spent like 12 years trying Building to build. Up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As a man with a failed Kickstarter, seeing the, the stats on how much Twitter gave me um, kind of um eyeball wise for the first project and then how little it did for the second yeah i can feel it and i can only imagine bigger creators than me are more anyway yeah aside from all that i guess if you're wandering around brighton just yell something about x-men i will probably appear he does that it's terrifying yes yeah um Sometimes in locked rooms, even I'll yeah. just be there, going, "Oh, could I tell you about the Summers Brothers?" Um, has Has anyone offered you an explosive communion wafer yet? <laughs> I love that so much. Um, I am currently in the Chuck Austin run of Uncanny X Men with yes, exploding communion wafers, weird ideas of making the Catholics believe that the rapture's happening, which I don't think is a thing for them and Lorna no. Dane's messiest messiest X-Men wedding ever it has been so much fun I, it, I can't say it's good but it's been interesting and that's the main thing anyway with that he's been Charlie I've been Miles it's a weird time out there so just remember every day do a Starfleet maybe sing a little you know, live long, have a jelly baby, and sing a little song about, I don't know, how much you love your cat. I sure will. You've been listening to Casual Trek by Charlie Etheridge Nunn and Miles Reed Lobato. Music by Alfred Etheridge Nunn. Casual Trek's part of the Nerd and Tie Network. And if you want to support us monetarily, because you love what we do that much, you can now do that by going to Coffee and looking up Casual Track. There's a link in the show notes.